Addressing Observer Radio with Garrett and Dave and our special guest who was recently voted the Luthez Ric Flair Wrestler of the Year by Wrestling Observer Newsletter readers for the second time in four years, Kenny Omega. How's it going? It's uh, going well. Thank you so much for having me today. So uh, I guess yeah, I'll, I'll pass this off to Dave in a second, but the first question I wanted to know, and I imagine mm-hmm. a lot of the listeners want to know, is ba- just basically how you're feeling. Uh, you you take some time off for injuries and and uh, yeah. just wondering if, you know, are we going to see you back wrestling sooner than later? Uh, the, the plan, of course, and I was perhaps a little too optimistic. I was hoping to be back by February, um, and uh, it's it's not looking that way anymore. And that's not to say that there was a huge snag or that, you know, there's there's something that is uh, terribly wrong. It's not that. It's just when you're trying to get appointments and things fixed, you have it in your brain that, oh, yeah, I could just call a number and I'll get in the next day. Um, unfortunately, there are sometimes waiting lists or, or there are other complications which create follow-up appointments and things like that. So unfortunately, and of course, you know, there's like the whole COVID thing as well, which just backed everything up by, you know, a good two weeks or so. Um, and then that caused me to miss appointments, which then caused me to have to rebook. And then that extends the time again. It's, it's just that part of the recovery process is always really poopy right now, but, um, it's still on track. I'm still feeling a little bit better, um, as time goes by. And that's without even having to do um, a lot of the major procedures that need to be done. That's just, um, myself working with, uh, trainers and doing the proper rehab to strengthen, uh, surrounding areas of the injured areas of the body. And um, I guess one of the, the big takeaways from my training uh, lately is that I was leaning too heavily into my strengths um, as a performer and, and as an athlete. And I guess over the years, um, there were either just natural strengths that I had or uh, things that I had overdeveloped. And I was relying too much on, on those things. And now that, you know, the knees are gone, the neck's going, uh, you know, I, I lose power in my rights. A, a, lot, a lot of stuff is go, what's going on. Um, it's like, how do you compensate for that stuff? And, and what is it that I can strengthen around those areas that can create a more stable and strong body? And um, it's like a silly process. And I always laugh at myself to see that, wow, as strong as, you know, this thing was, this thing that was adjacent to it was terribly weak and I feel really pathetic. Um, so it's, it's been a process, but it feels good to, to kind of learn from the ground up these new movements that help correct, um, issues that would have otherwise been completely debilitating. So it's going, it's going well. Um, the training is going well. Um, and once I actually am able to try to get the knees fixed, get the neck fixed, you know, you know, the hernia and all that stuff. Um, Hopefully, I'm able to move around uh, much better than I was before, and um, I guess kind of kind of look like a guy that was doing what he was doing ten years ago. Hopefully, hopefully, that's always a hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, one more thing, Dave, before we throw it to you. I, I had uh, gosh, this has probably been ten years now. I had knee surgery, and I remember going through the rehab process, the physical therapy, and they would say, "Okay, now." you know, flex your quad and I want you to make that muscle move. And I would try to make Mm -hmm. that muscle move. And they're like, Nope, you're making the one on the other side move. And because of the injury, uh, like you said, uh, uh, you know, there was an over dependence on certain muscles in the leg and an underdevelopment on under other muscles in the leg. And then learning how to sort of walk correctly again, because if you've mm-hmm. had injuries, you create this gait that's a limp, and then it turns into sort of your normal walk. So all of those things uh, are very clear in my memory for what you just said. And I guess the follow-up to that is, um, are is there any small thing that we all take for granted that because of your injuries that it was sort of hard to kind of redevelop or, or, or get back to, to, to how you used to do it before you got injured? I mean, my normal walk now is kind of like a zombie shuffle. So <laughs> I, it's as as the, as days go by, you do don't realize how your your daily activities and, and your normal lifestyle changes, um, unless you have someone actually pointed out to you that really knows the human body and its mechanics. 
um, much like your situation that you just talk, uh, talked about, I would work with a trainer and someone who's, you know, very uh, studied in, in human anatomy and all that. And it's like, you know, do this, flex this, flex only this, now flex this and this together. And you can't, it's like, my, you know, my body couldn't make those connections anymore. And I was like, wait a minute, what's, what's going on? Like, I, why is it my glute is completely dead? Why won't my glute actually fire? Why can't um, I on command uh, activate my hamstring muscle? It, it's things like that. And it's, it's alarming at first because it's like, whoa, like I've been that quad heavy for this long because, you know, my, my knee was in pain and I was trying to compensate in this way. And so, you know, I've been putting too much of my pressure um, on like my toes and the balls of my feet rather than absorbing any of that impact in, in the glutes and the hammies um, and sitting back in my heels at all. So it's things like that where I've been putting far, far too much impact on the things that actually were hurting because they hurt. And I thought I was, I was actually cushioning them properly. But for me in the moment, it, that's how my body would react uh, just to get through it and to try to kind of continue the facade that Kenny Omega was a hundred percent when he wasn't anywhere close to it. So now when it, and now have you, okay. So of the injuries, okay. So we know mm -hmm. you had the, the hernia, um, nose injury, right? Shoulder. Oh, yep. 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 Um, uh, knees, of course, as you mentioned, is there, yep. is there, is, yep. is, 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 is that, is that the list of it or is there actually more? Uh, no, that generally, those are like the big ones. Like for me and uh, I'm, I'm a very mobile and explosive wrestler. At least I like to be, I feel like I sort of went all in on, on having that explosivity to what I do in the ring. So for me, um, even if I have a hernia or, or like a shoulder injury, like I'm not, uh, you know, power wrestler, I don't have really have an, uh, an interest in being like a huge kind of power fighter in the ring, but I do always want to kind of be mobile. And I feel like even if I can't, be the exact version of myself that I've brought to the table for X amount of years. You know, I still want to be somebody known for um, their dynamic ability in the ring and someone who's got good stamina in the ring. And it's tough because when the wheels go away, it's, it's really hard to stay on top of your game uh, from a cardio aspect. It's hard to figure out ways. How do I keep my conditioning up now? Because if I, if I can't use my legs, you have to get real creative. And I've learned a lot on, um, battle ropes, aerodyne bikes, you know, like weird things. I, I never would, this is the most bear crawling I've ever done in my, my life. I hate it. Um, and it's just so just drastically different from what I would normally do for my conditioning. Cause I, I, I dislike being on treadmills. I dislike being on a machine where you're in one place, you're not seeing anything, nothing's changing. And all you can watch is just a clock, uh, tick down or tick up to, to the goal. I like doing, I, I love, you know, running on a beach. I love um, running on unstable surfaces, whether it be sand, uh, you know, elevation changes, all that. And I like seeing the sights and the sounds around me. I like seeing, you know, animals, nature, all those things. And if I, if I have those things around me, you know, a lot of time passes by and it's like, oh, wow, I've been, I've been outside running around for over an hour now. And it's fantastic. Um, you know, I love playing basketball, beach volleyball, things like that. And I'm really competitive. So before I know it, I've been trying really hard and pushing myself more than I would have in a, in just a one-on-one -on -one training uh, scenario because I just don't like to lose. Um, but then when you really can't do anything and it's back to square one, you really do have to find some, you have to make fun out of some of the boring aspects or painful aspects of, of rehabbing. And that's sort of been the tough part was to get, to build up that mental fortitude again, where it's like, Oh, this is, this is why I'd rather train through sport than just train, train. Um, and it's getting better though. I mean, I, as long as you stick to it, you, it gets, uh, becomes part of your habit, becomes part of you know, daily activity. And, um, although I can't say that I, that I enjoy my training, I, I look forward to it because I see improvements every day and, um, that in itself becomes sort of the reward. And hopefully the big reward in the end is coming back and being able to wrestle, uh, in a healthier state. Now, how hard was it, you know, especially, you know, towards, you know, all, all through last year, because you were hurting at the start of the year too. But I mean, I as was, far as I like, was, yep. 
Yeah, yeah, but going through the whole year where you were, you know, you were in a position of having to do a lot of main events and you have, a, you know, you have a very unique pride in your work um, in the sense that good isn't good enough, it has to be great. And, mm. you know, you, you, um, you know, just the last match, I mean, you were going hard for a, a year, then the November match with Hangman was, you know, you were put in a position to, to put him over big and you you know to and make it a classic match was one of the best matches of the year um while you were at the same time probably shouldn't have been wrestling i mean how painful was that and and how just how difficult was the year really i mean it's, it's the, the difficult part is you know i don't i'm kind of a very private person and i don't want I guess I, I'll always, of course, tell them to my friends, tell everyone in AEW, the people that I work with, you know, these are sort of my current limitations or this is what's hurting on me. Um, but um, I, I still do know what I, what I can do and what needs to be done. And I guess the tough part was just trying to, I, I don't want to, I want this to come out the wrong way, but I guess I, I wanted to fool the fans. I didn't want them ever to think, Kenny's doing a, a decent job for someone that's hurt. I, I didn't even want that to cross their minds. I just wanted them to, I wanted to build myself up as a champion that they wanted to see defeated. And um, there were times, you know, when I was more difficult than, than others. I remember there was times, um, it's a funny story actually, when I was at uh, Impact and when my hernia got real, real bad, we had to do like, they do a lot of taping or did a lot of tapings when it was, uh, you know, no, no fan arena um, setting, uh, at, in Nashville. And I would be on every week doing something, whether it was showing up at the arena or, you know, walking out to the ring to cut a little bit of a promo or to interfere in a match. I wouldn't necessarily have a match all the time, but it got to a point where I would go, I would do some six man tag for an app special. Then I would do the, you know, another six man tag for one of the TV shows. Um, maybe, uh, another tag match. And then, you know, the next day would be the pay-per-view match. And then the day after that would be the, the follow-up uh, TV tapings to like the, the pay-per-view fallout. And those days would normally have maybe one match, but a lot of run-ins, a lot of interviews, a lot of promos. And I recall having to do a run-in. I think it was on Sammy Callahan or maybe on Moose um, or both actually. And every step felt like I was getting like poked in the stomach with some sort of sharp object. And uh, I remember Scott telling me after he's like, Kenny, we, we had to just cut that entire segment out. It's like, if you look like a 95 year old man running, walking to the ring, I was like, well, yeah, like it was, it was bad. So I could, I could, I couldn't do a run and I had to do like a a walk-in, but it was like kind of like the hot coals kind of walk where it's like, ah, 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 ah. And I just couldn't, there was no more adrenaline left. Like I couldn't just rev up the tank go, okay, the adrenaline is going, I can do these eight run-ins. Like you can't go up and down that many times in a day. And it just came to a point where it's all I could feel was the pain, and that's it. And I was like, "Wow, like this is this is getting bad." So, um, you know, I, I kept everyone uh, in the loop about it. I, you know, I, I, I mentioned it to Impact, I mentioned it to Tony. And I said, "Like, hey, like I can I can get myself there, and I can do what we need to do." But I really need to pace myself. I need to, to kind of really select those moments when I push when I push it. Because if I do it all the time, that I'll never be able to get to a point where I can even do that. And Impact was super professional, loved working with them. And of course, Tony is super understanding about everyone's health and, and all that sort of stuff. An incredible boss and, and cares about us legitimately. And um, yeah, we were able to come up with a schedule and a, and a way for me to be active all the time, but for me not to look the way that I did that one week on Impact. So now, as far as going forward, um, are you going to are are you going to have surgeries, or are you just going to rehab for a couple of months, or do you kind of know like what's what's kind of like in your short and long term future? Yeah, so the the hernia is absolutely something that I want to get taken care of now. The last thing I want to do is, and some of the doctors kind of tell me like, hey, like you 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 have the umbilical hernia, um, it's going to get it's going to get real bad eventually and you're going to have to get it taken care of, but you could let it rip for now. And I would hate to come back and let's say something happens where it, it just tears wide open and my intestines are spilling out everywhere. Um, it would, it would suck to come 
to, to take all this time off, come back and then immediately go, Oh, actually, no, I'm going to get this other surgery. Now I want to get it done now. Um, which, you know, that's a, to be able to, to walk around and live life. That's, that's like a, you know, five day process or something like that. But to be able to, you know, take impact on the abdomen area to miss like a moonsault to get double foot stomped, things like that, you know, that's going to take six to eight weeks probably before I should be doing it or before I would get cleared to do it. Maybe, I don't know, uh, my healing factor would kick in and it would be quicker. I don't know, but you got to listen to the doctors at that point. And actually, as of right now, I think that's going to be the longest uh, recovery time that I have to deal with. So as soon as I can get that taken care of, once that eight weeks is up, um, that that's probably going to be about the time when I'm able to make my return. And in the interim, um, I've got various um, knee treatments coming up and some of them are pretty cutting edge. I don't even know if I can really talk about it, but um, it's real, real cool experimental stuff. Um, have you tried I'm, stem? I'm, have, have you tried stem cell stuff or anything like that? I'm, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge believer of stem cells and PRP, and uh, there are some treatments that are even um, on top of that that, I'm, that I'll be uh, investigating that should really help, uh, or at least I'm I'm optimistic about them helping. And uh, I think once and and that's why I say hopefully when I come back, you know, it'll be more of a a, a pain free. Um, yeah, I won't have to kind of put myself in, in some, some sort of heightened mental state to be able to block out the pain receptors. I'll be able to just do focus on the match and the performance. And uh, that would be great because I haven't had that in a long time. When you, um, when you're, you know, as, as far as like everyday life, you know, but besides mm -hmm. when you're doing rehab and everything like that, are, are you cool? Like, cause you know, like sometimes when, you know, you've been through this and we, you know, we all have, but obviously not at your level, but, but you know where where something happens and you get the injury and then you the, the the injury when you can't sleep you know what I mean the pain when you can't sleep oh yeah 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 and 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 Absolutely. that's like to me to me like with that's the period where you're legitimately miserable I mean and and just it's just not fun okay but when you you know when you're in pain walking you can kind of deal with pain walking you know your knee hurts a little your hip hurts a little or whatever mm -hmm. like that you know your shoulder hurts when someone rolls on it or something i mean that's like everyday you know life i mean that's okay but it's like to me to me i always like i always know like when it comes to the point where i can't sleep now i'm like you know now it's like miserable pain yeah and it are, you are, you, are you psychologically are you are you past that or are you still kind of in that state no, I'm absolutely past that. You know, there, there, are, there are times when, you know, it, it, I need a little bit of extra help to, to get to bed and, and maintain a sleep schedule. But, um, you know, there were moments when I, I would legitimately worry. And I had this back in Japan, too, where I was like, man, like, I can't, I can't just take melatonin and, um, and, and go to sleep now. Like, the pain in my shoulder or my neck is... is too much. And I remember when I had my hernia in my neck and it was at its, at its peak worst condition. And that was the only time I'd ever taken time off and from new Japan. I remember I had to take a best of the super juniors off. I had to, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it really was what it was. I was just so desperate to get any kind of rest. I would, I would like, uh, I would go on my stomach on the bed and hang my head down off the bedside straight down. Um, just so I would feel a little bit of separation in my spine and I would, I would sleep upside down and um, until I would wake up like five to 10 minutes later being like all dizzy, like I was held up in a Davy boy Smith vertical suplex. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it was, it was miserable. Like you said, it was like, you, it's no matter how, what you take, what you do in your massage doesn't work at that point. I remember um, I had to go to the top uh, spine doctor in all of Tokyo, and he's a genius and one of the top in his field uh, in all of the world. Um, he had to give me uh, some serious medication, stuff that would actually block um, like the pain receptors from nerve damage. And um, that was the only time when I could actually sort of live normally, train normally. Um, but it was uh, actually it was also bad for for my recovery because um, it sort of prevents um, 
prevents the development of muscle. It actually creates like a catabolic state for your, your muscle musculature. Uh, I, I, I apparently, according to, um, a trainer that I had worked with shortly thereafter, that, that medication in general was, um, it was bad for your, um, uh, like memory and things like that, which of course in, in wrestling, you need to have, you need to be on point, you need to have your memory. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of things, a lot of things to remember, a lot of things to recall. And, and there were, there was a lot of freedoms in new Japan. But if, if that had happened where I was taking something that would cause me to blank out during a match when you're on live television and, or you have to hit it like a hard time, or if your time is cut uh, instantaneously in a match and, and you couldn't come up with a plan B or couldn't get to where you needed to get to, that would have been dead in the water. So, um, it was, there were things that were able to get me through it, but I'm glad I just have never gotten to that state where, you know, we can get you some sleep at night. We can get you through your workouts in the day, but there may be repercussions during your matches, which I never, ever want to go to that place again. That was, that was scary. One thing, and I didn't, I didn't know this about you. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I knew about I knew about some of your other, you know, many of your other injuries, but, but the one I didn't know until pretty much you were um, finishing was yeah. the vertigo and yeah. the, the idea that you had to compensate in the ring for vertigo for a time. Um, I'm not sure how long, mm-hmm. but, but when you were talking about that, I mean, that sounded so, you know, compensating for dizziness sounds so yeah difficult but again like on the from a fan standpoint you know i mean from someone who watches your matches probably as close as almost anyone i never noticed mm. it i mean i never noticed anything where you looked dizzy or you looked off or you were missing something because your whatever your equilibrium was off i mean i never noticed i never noticed that so i mean how you know and you had mentioned something like you almost had to retrain your body to compensate yep. for all that yeah, it's it's. This will sound silly, um, but I, I'm just trying to speak as honestly and as candidly as possible. But when it it had happened, and I remember when it had happened, I had the uh, one of the the block finals against Okada, and one of the G1s, the one that I ended up going um, in the finals against Naito, and I had taken the Okada drop kick, and it was just a fluke thing. Um, you know, Okada kind of does like, you know, a real nice, high, pretty drop kick as, as everyone knows. And he had landed on the side of my head with his knee off the drop kick. So it was almost like he did like the, the drop kick and like kind of like the sort of moonsault like out of it. And I bumped, you know, I guess just under him and then the, the knee came down and, and I, I kind of knew when that happened, I was like, Whoa, like I got caught in something. I wasn't sure what. And I finished the match and it was totally fine. And I was, I love the match. It's one of my favorite matches. And I would always say, um, you know, for people that want to kind of get introduced to what Okada and I had done, the easiest match for maybe a non pro wrestling fan would have been that G1 because it was just the, the 25 minute. No non- yeah. 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 Yep. It was like, no, yep. no, it was no nonsense. It was the easiest, the easiest match to digest in, in like a short period of time, you know, it wasn't going to be a huge time commitment. Um, and there's that sort of state of urgency where it's like, okay, we know both these guys are looking to win this match as quick as possible. Uh, so I loved it, and I'm proud of it to this day. Um, and as you know, uh, Dave, you know when you're the Block B uh, final, you have to come back for the actual final final uh, less than 12 hours the next day. <laughs> yeah, because you're it doing all over again. You, you, because in, in those days you're doing Saturday night and then Sunday afternoon. You know, it's not even yes. Sunday night. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah. It was just crazy. So I remember wake going, uh, you know, just being like worn out, tired, um, at Rio Goku and then going home, getting a little bit of sleep. And I woke up and I'm like, okay, I guess it's time to go. And I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, would set my alarm a, a little later than normal. Cause I, I just wanted as much rest as possible. And I went to go get up and I did sort of like the sideways, you're trying to recapture your balance, but you're falling over sideways. And I hit my dresser and like a bunch of stuff fell off. I almost like tipped over a mirror and, I was like, what is going on? And I went back into bed and I laid down. And when I laid down flat, it was just really, really spinning. I went, I moved to my side and I thought, okay, this, this spinningness is 
kind of dissipating a little bit. I'm feeling a little better if I stick to a side. I thought, okay, maybe I can sleep this way. So I sleep a little bit more and see what's going on. And I'm just praying that it's going to get better. So I, I got a little bit more rest, like 20 minutes or so. I woke up and I was able to walk in a straight line. And I thought, like, what is it that I can do about this? And at first, because we just had the match, it's like, just get through it. And um, I like, get through it. But as best as I can, try to get away from uh, laying flat on my back for long periods of time. Because that seemed to really uh, sort of trigger that effect of of like prolonged dizziness. So if I bump, you know, take the bump, boom, but get to a side quick because that way I can sort of reset my equilibrium. And that was sort of my trick early on to figuring out a way to do it. And then I thought like in times when I can't do that or if it gets out of hand, what am I going to do if it, if it gets that bad regardless of what I do? And um, I thought, okay, I'll just throw my hands up in the air and just say, just call it quits, call it a day. Um, and the, the one thing I sort of found uh, a little bit of inspiration in, and this, this is really silly, but again, I'm just going to recount it as, as I remember it. I had remembered that on uh, some sort of variety uh, television program in Japan, back when pride was in its heyday, um, they would do the, you know, you put your head in a baseball bat and spin around a bunch of times. And uh, the fighters would have to run in a straight line. It was just for fun. You have to run in a straight line and, 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 and like high kick a dummy. And, um, you get champion kickboxers, guys that are great at stand up, guys, just the, the best fighters, the terminators. However, the one person who did it as though the spinning didn't affect them at all was Sakuraba. He was able to spin around that bat at light speed and, and throw a kick as though it wasn't affecting him at all. And I thought, there's got to be a way that I can. I can learn something, some sort of skill, teach myself something to work around this when it gets bad. And uh, as long as I sort of had that inspiration that there's maybe a way at a high level that I can not be affected by this or learn something to combat this, then I'll be able to, to figure it out. And um, the best thing that I was able to find aside from sort of ways to not be as dizzy uh, was just a good chiropractor to make sure that my C1 was always in place. And if my C1 was in place, I would have, you know, just, uh, days of relief when it wasn't bad at all. Uh, but in the times where it was bad, you know, there was sort of like a mental training and a, I guess a physical aspect to the training as well, where I would know my body and know what positions uh, I could be in that would allow for this condition to not be as bad or debilitating in the ring. Now, looking back, since we're kind of looking forward and everything like this, I mean, when you look mm -hmm. back at, at 2021, I mean, you know, you had a lot of obligations. You ended up, um, the Mexico thing didn't happen, even though you were the champion there because of your injuries and because of COVID and it just, whatever. Yeah. But, but you were, you know, on, on, you know, in the championship role there, you were in the championship role in impact for months and, you know, AEW obviously, uh, there every week with Don Callis and everything like that. And then do you now, now, I mean, I know that you had the, you know, you were, do you miss, do you miss being there every week with Don and, and the young bucks and just with the whole crew for that matter? Yeah. You know, I, I always, um, Anytime I'm able to do anything creative with Don is, is really fun. Um, always, it, he's great to have a conversation with about wrestling and wrestling related issues because he, we are sort of of the same um, thought process on a lot of things where we look, we look at what's happening on the show from a different angle and perspective. So as long as we're working together on a, on a story or an angle, we're able to kind of step back, look at what's going to happen on the show, look what's scheduled to happen on the shows and create something that's very visual, visually different from everything else. Um, regardless if we were the focus on a show or not, or if there were plans to more heavily focus other people or in a lot of cases, uh, we get into a habit I find of um, having a lot of sort of gimmicky matches almost every, every week on the show. And it's like, how do we stand out in our segment when there's going to be this very bloody hardcore match or 
how are we going to stand out when, um, you know, the week after that, uh, these guys are scheduled for a 30 minute in ring and we're given 60 seconds. How do we maximize that? And it's easy to kind of say, well, I guess we just weren't meant to be the focus. So forget it, screw it. Uh, we'll just do a, we'll just do whatever, finish it, figure it out as we go along. Uh, we would always kind of put our heads together and figure out how do we maximize this time and, and how do, how do we make it different, but different in a way where when people recall the episode or recall the show, go like, Oh yeah, I remember this happened. And it actually kind of stands out as a talking point. Um, and I, I think that was generally, um, you know, with the return of, of, of punk and, and, and Brian coming in and just all these exciting things happening all the time. Um, constantly at AEW, it's like, how, how do we shift the focus back to the story I have with Hangman? Um, and we were lucky that we had these years and years and years of, of groundwork that we had laid. Um, and that's always sort of been our storytelling style within the elite is to not ignore the things that have happened in the past and actually always, you know, as any human would, um, have a, a memory of it and, and allow that to shape our stories moving forward. So, um, having that history was great and just being different and um, calling back to more of, you know, the human emotion uh, sort of helps. Um, when you, I mean, as far, as far as like the, the year went, I mean, um, uh-huh. are you kind of, when, when you look back, I mean, wrestler of the year, um, you know, MVP, all that, um, uh-huh. you know, the feud of the year, um, you know, several matches very high um i mean what what was your like when when you look back at, at you know what were your favorite matches of the year from this past oh year? yeah 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 um yeah that's a that's a very good geez um very good question i I could say, um, you know, we just talked about the hangman match. And for me, that was a a huge relief to have done that without incident. And I I guess the part that was the most fulfilling and rewarding from that match was like, geez, like you guys saw everything under the sun, including some of the most anticipated moments in wrestling for the past you know, decade, you know, CM Punk's return, but still, you know, the fans are very receptive and they wanted hangman to win. They wanted that moment for him. And for me to, to do that and to create that atmosphere, um, and to, and to do it without, uh, any of us getting injured. And, and for me, knowing that hangman was going to have to go into something pretty, uh, physically demanding against Brian soon thereafter. Um, that was a proud moment for me. The, um, the, uh, the Arthur Ashe show, uh, show was an incredible memory for me as well. It was, um, I had, I don't want to call it writing the wrong. It wasn't that at all. And I still stand by my sort of thought process way back in the day when I did a straight up comedy match with Brian just for something different. But I had thought our serious match together would have come much sooner after that PWG match. So it's sort of like, oh, wow, finally we get to do, you know, this match that people had sort of expected out of us. But now, um, especially me, I'm far more qualified to give that to people. Um, so, so it was cool for Brian to trust me with his comeback match in AEW. It was cool for Tony to trust us with that platform um, at our largest weekly show by far. Um, the actually it was probably just our largest show in general, right? In, in terms of attendance, I don't think we've ever. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the record. It's the record attendance for the company. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to be trusted with, with that responsibility, um, when you know you had Brian coming back and and it was sort of like, yeah, take my word for it, I'm ready to go, and you know then it's me. It's like okay, I take my word for it, I'm the guy to do it. <laughs> it, 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 there was a lot of trust going into that match and uh, I'm, I'm glad we delivered and what was cooler than, you know, feeling like uh, we had done our company and our, our boss proud was that the fans were just enjoying it as much as we were in the ring. So that was a great memory. And um, 
I really enjoyed working Sammy at, at, uh, at impact. That was fun. And, um, the first episode of, uh, rampage where I was able to wrestle Christian, that was, um, in a lot of ways, very similar to the, the Brian Danielson experience where you had a lot of people leading up to that, that match. Like, where does this match come from? You know, why isn't Kenny wrestling hangman? Oh, they really bait and switched us here. I can't believe it. This is a waste of time. But then we performed the match. And, and when we were there in that moment, the fans were, were really enjoying the, uh, all the interactions between us. And I think they're really captivated just by the moments uh, in the match. And, I, I was happy to show, you know, what probably a lot of people already knew was that Christian is actually really incredible in the ring. And he's, he's, he's such an intelligent performer. And, um, I, I was glad to, to wrestle that style of match, um, which is one of my favorite styles to, to perform in, which is to, uh, value every movement. Um, whether it be, uh, the placement of, of, of a move, of, of a spot, of, of a punch, of a kick, of a body slam. Everything just had a, a very high value and return towards it. And um, I feel that you can't, a lot of times you, you don't get, you're, you're allowed for that when you wrestle a younger talent because younger talents are sort of expected to go like, go, 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 go. And they like to, to chain their moves together. And it's hard to elicit that kind of reaction. But with someone like Christian, who's had such a, a history of being, you know, in this place and that place, being a champion and valuing his own movesets over the years were, you know, a, a frog splash is a huge move. His spear is a huge move. And of course the unprettier is, is a huge move. Um, it's, it's really cool to get into a situation where just one move is enough and you can, you can build a story in those moments in between time rather than wasting a lot of energy and, and valuable time on TV to do other moves to, to elicit that, to try to get to that same reaction. Um, and, and Brian has that too about him where he is able to get a lot of mileage, uh, out of, out of very few moves. Um, and, and in the same regard as well, going back to, you know, it's already old news now, but all the Okada stuff, you know, Okada gets a lot of mileage out of his stuff. So I feel that I strive in those situations where, um, I can take, the, that extra time to help build the real story and connection with the fans through the in-between stuff rather than just the moves themselves. If, can we go Would back you... to the okay, Omega and Danielson match just for a second? Because I think what mm -hmm. came out of that was this idea for a very passionate wrestling fan base to say, oh, the idea of dream matches on a big stage are kind of back. And uh, there are other guys who I'm sure, uh, you know, you, you, you are looking forward to, to wrestling who you maybe haven't ever wrestled or only had a few matches or haven't had like that big stage match. Um, is there mm -hmm. one or two who are kind of on that list? Uh, I imagine there's, there's a bunch, but I was just kind of wondering if there's like, you know, one or two who you're like circling like ah, at some point getting there is going to be awesome. Yeah, no, I, I feel like there is an opportunity to tell a, a really interesting story with Adam Cole at some point. I don't know when, and you just got to feel it out. I, I don't like ever being bound to something by a certain time. Like I, I love being able to feel the atmosphere, to listen to the fans' response, um, to really gauge when, when the proper time is to pull the trigger. Uh, so when the timing is right or as right as it can be, hopefully I'm, I'm able to investigate that storyline. Um, I've, I've always had a real good relationship with Jay White over the years. Um, known him since, uh, he was the guy, he was the guy doing my laundry in New Japan and, um, always supported his, uh, his venture and, and his journey in professional wrestling and extremely proud for him to, take sort of the opportunity that was before him and make it his own. Uh, I, I really feel that he was sort of unfairly uh, compared 
to, to me and or others when he was given this incredible responsibility of being a top guy when maybe it was really soon or too soon. And he was able to transform his look, his character, his wrestling style to really be something unique and something that fit him. Uh, so I would love to have that rematch with Jay with the current version of, of the new Jay um, and hopefully be an instrument uh, for him to really show how far he's come, uh, which, you know, I think an American audience really hasn't seen that yet. And, and it's tough, it's tough to really see that. I mean, I think the best version of, of Jay, Jay White that we got was probably um, Tokyo Dome against Ibushi where yeah, yeah, it okay. sort of embodied that new Japan, big time main event, epic main event style, but it had a lot of the, sort of influences from North American babyface heel wrestling culture. And he was able to sort of blend those in seamlessly without looking out of place in a strong style main event matchup. So in that sense, when you really look, take a, a step back and look at it, you know, this is a guy that hasn't had to rely on raw athletics, high flying maneuvers, things that'll blow your mind um, from a spectacle standpoint. It's just someone who is placing things in the right way and being there for his opponent um, to create this epic feeling to a matchup. And um, I, I think, you know, in AEW with Tony being as uh, generous as he is with being able to showcase talent, um, I, I think that even if it's not me, I, I hope that Jay gets a chance to um, show something to the American fan base because he, he's, he's really developed into one of the, the uh, great talents in professional wrestling. Um, now, before I actually, uh, um, one question I have is when you're preparing for the match mentally for Danielson mm -hmm. or, or a match with Okada or a match with Hangman, you know, where, yeah. you know, it's a big stage match, you know, people are expecting something really big. You kind of have to look, you know, you know, one of the curses of, of being, of having the matches that you've had is that sometimes good or even very good isn't good enough because I I remember and 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 I I just remember this one like when when you did the second match with Okada when when the match mm -hmm. started in like the first few minutes I was thinking I mean I, ne I never thought of it about like this until the match is on and also yep. when the match is on it's like oh my god like you you have to have a match as good as the first one and <laughs> and that's a lot of that's a to me I thought that what kind of pressure is that? And I, maybe it wasn't even any pressure at all for you to, for you to, but I thought like, because again, oh, no, it, was. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing if you're in a, a regular match and people are expecting you just go out there and have a really great match. That's fine. But when you're in a situation where like, like the match with Danielson, it's almost like you're, you guys are so good that people are sitting there almost, ah, you know, like, they disappointed me, you know, they're waiting for you disappointed me. And you, one of the things that I enjoyed about the match so much was when it was over, it was just like, no, one's going to say that. No one can say that. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure somebody did somewhere, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, even, absolutely, even people who, you know, don't want to uh, praise it, you know, you kind of have to go, okay. You know, they, they, out, I don't want to say outdid themselves, but they, they lived up to Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson on a big stage in a big time match. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back as to before this, you know, the whole opportunity for me to, to do what I had always wanted to do in wrestling had started. Um, it was probably in the midst of the G1. Well, tail end of the, of my first G1 in 2016, where I'd first learned that, yeah, um, I, I guess I, I'm going to be able to have this, you know, pretty high stakes match against Naito in the block final. And, um, I, I had thought because Naito was, was really on the fast track to being the, the top star of the company before I had heard that, you know, what's going to be me going to the finals that at the very least, you know, I've tried to really dress up this first G1 performance of mine as something special and something where I would give a pretty good performance, regardless of where we were. I wanted to make that match feel like a final. 
And uh, it was to this day one of my favorite performances. Actually, um, I, that, that match still means a lot to me. Um, and uh, to to go from that um, to then winning the G one, and then sort of for me things never really slowed down. When that first Okada match hit, and I had realized afterward just how many people stateside, you know, all over the world, you know, whether it be people outside of Japan had, had actually watched this match or due to, uh, you know, perhaps efforts from, from you guys and, and others just kind of word of mouth saying like, Hey, you should check this match out. People were watching this match and they were, they were falling in love with the new Japan style. So it was really difficult for me to be presented with this idea that we're going to do this match again. And they're expecting that Tokyo Dome level of performance. And what is it that you do? And I had sort of thought like, man, how does, how does Tana and Okada do this all the time? Because they had, at that point, they'd already had, you know, probably at least four or five. Um, and they never disappointed anyone either. So how is it that um, I, I can do this without letting people down? And I remember going to Gato, Gato and saying like, hey, um, I'm really worried about this one. <laughs> no, no offense. And he's like, no, 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 don't. He said, don't even worry about it. He says, it's, it's all good. He says, don't, don't worry about matching the Tokyo Dome. Just go out there. We can even make this match like 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes, you lose. It's all good. So like, don't, don't worry about it. it it's, it's fine. People just want to see Okada win. And, um, you know, because Okada uh, loves – it was, it was always a great visual for um, our domestic fans at that point, for Okada to close the show. They loved it. Well, you know, Okada and Tana closing a show was always like the happy ending that they wanted to see. Um, and I remember exactly where I was on the sofa in the dojo and, and I was sitting there with Okada and, you know, we looked at each other and when I, when we met eyes kind of on the, on the, on the couch, <laughs> the story isn't going where you think it's going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're like, man, we can't just do a 15 minute match at Osaka Joe Hall. Like this, we can't do that. So I had thought like, man, I was in a, a very good place athletically and condition wise. And Okada, of course, is young, generally injury free. He can go for days. I thought like, man, what if, what if we go the limit? Like, what if we, what if we do an actual like Broadway and, um, you know, the, the big concern, the huge concern, which, which was met with a lot of deliberation was like, oh my God, but who's going to close the show then? You know, who's, who's going to give like the victory speech at the end of the show? And I was like, no, Okada can still do it. Like he's going to be the champ, but like, let's really do something like unique, crazy, something that people haven't seen in a long time. And, uh, I, I would say probably from that point on, it was, it was a very, um, collaborative effort with Gato and myself. Like, okay, what do we do now? Like what, what kind of crazy idea do you have this time, Kenny? And, um, it, it was, it, it that was the start of a very fun time where I could really step outside the box and, and, um, you know, that, that's when I had nothing but trust from, from Gato and the company when I'd said like, Hey, what about a best two out of three for the next one? Um, and there's always that feeling of like, if, if you go bigger, is it necessarily going to be better? And, um, you know, I've seen, I've mostly seen the positive, uh, benefits from, from going bigger and trying to be better. And there are times when it blows up in my face or, or literally does not blow up in my face where I tried to go bigger and better with Moxley had a match. I was very proud of looking back at aside from that last explosion in the, the explosive bar exploding barbed wire death match. And that's just, that's just both sides of the coin, right? You take those chances. Um, but sometimes it's not always going to work out. And sometimes it's going to be something that's not even in your control. It's, it's, there's nothing we could have done to make that better. It just happened the way that it happened. And unfortunately, that's sort of the memory that sits with people. Um, but uh, had, had we not tried to do something different, there probably wouldn't have even been that interest for um, that match anyway, or at least not as much. So for me, um, even if there are nerves or if there's a little bit of, you know, if, if there are worries behind it, um, I know that if I don't push the envelope, if I don't push my own boundaries, if I don't try as hard as I can to give the fans something new or something that I know that deep down inside I'm capable of, I feel that it's a slight to the fans. 
And when I know that I have a capable opponent that's standing across the ring from me, that sort of reinforces that I shouldn't worry about how things are going to end up. And that's why I never worried with Okada. That's why I never worried with Moxley. And you know, I, I knew Brian enough, even just from the PWG experience, that there was a trust there where we're going to be okay regardless of what happens. So as, as much as, as me kind of not being a coward help, helps my performances, having complete 100% faith in my opponent is, is one of the main ingredients to me feeling like I can push my, my limits. Going in a different subject, and this is probably the, the big thing that everyone's been talking about since, I guess, Monday night, Monday afternoon. Stone Cold um, Steve Austin, baby. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin's back. That's right. Can you imagine yeah. that day? Brigera, I mean, like, can you imagine? Val- it's Valentine's Day, right? And mm-hmm. It's Valentine's Day, and I wake up, and it's uh, something's going on with Cody, and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming back. And it's like... Oh boy, you know, and no one knows it yet, but knowing that it's wrestling in 12 hours, they probably will. And so I'm out and I'm getting texts when I promised I'm not going to (laughs) be working. (laughs) But anyway, so, so, but what, what was, you know, again, like, I I mean, what was your reaction to the Cody thing? I mean, I, I did it. it Everyone was shocked. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Wrestling is, is we all know when our deals are up, like especially the EVPs. Like we, we know when our deals are up. We know when our, um, in the case of the Bucks, like when their, their options kick in. For, for myself, um, I, I don't have a deal like that. As you know, I'm, I'm up next year, just straight up done. Um, so I'd have to re-sign a new one. There's no option. Um, and, you know, we knew Cody's much like the Bucks. It was, it was that time. And um, when, you know, we would hear that, Okay, there's there's possibly uh, some difficulty with the renegotiation or whatever. Uh, it, it was almost like you just you never you never think it's going to go in that direction where where the talent is going to opt for leaving. Um, especially since you know when this first thing started, I would say the most passionate person about a revolution, uh, most the most passionate person about kind of creating an us versus them mentality was that was Cody. So it was strange for him just to choose to up and walk away. However, that being said, you know, feelings change. You, you, you the environment around you is, is ever changing. It's constantly changing. And maybe, you know, the, the, the mission statement or the goal or the revolution, whatever it is that you're searching for, trying to create, maybe that isn't what it is anymore to you. Maybe that, you know, isn't your, your inspiration. Isn't, that isn't what gets you out of bed every, every day. So I would always encourage everyone, you know, in wrestling and life, whatever, if, if your work isn't fulfilling, if it doesn't make you happy, you really should look for opportunities elsewhere in a place where you can feel creatively free in a place where you feel that your work is being appreciated and fulfilled. Um, I know, I can't say I know, I'm guessing that knowing Cody, as as well as I I know him, I I don't really think I don't think it was a an issue of money. I I don't think it was Tony not shelling out enough enough cash to keep him uh, invested with the company. Uh, Cody, he 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 really believed in the vision in the original vision that he brought to the table for AEW, and. I think the original vision that the team brought to the table when AW was first becoming a promotion, we didn't know where this would go. We had, we had been optimistic about it. We had thought we would be where we are today, where we would be considered, you know, a major promotion and we would have our fan base and we would have hopefully a lot of um, satisfied customers watching our product. But I guess we never really sat down and, and, and talked to each other about, okay, we have this opportunity to now change wrestling. How do you see it? How do you see it? How do you see it? How we make this work? And maybe in the end, you know, we had the Bucks and their vision. We had my vision and then we had Cody's vision and all of our visions were different from one another. And 
I would say mine was more similar to to what the Bucks had envisioned, and Cody's was was out there. It was it was much different. Um, and um, you're going to get that, I think, when finally you've you've committed your life to an industry and a business, and and finally someone goes, okay, you've you've done this job all your life. You've been raised into this business with these shackles on you to a degree by someone or something. Now those are off. You've got carte blanche. What is it you want to do? And I can understand that there might be some heartbreak if, if you, if you, you were promised that or told that and it doesn't come to fruition. I get it. I mean, but again, um, though my professional relationship with Cody was, 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 was great. Um, he's not a guy that, uh, I, I go and get a, a diet Pepsi with on my, in my off time. So I don't know how he personally feels about, about anything. Um, so um, I can only guess as to why he would leave. And I, I just think that he saw it with this deal up as an opportunity to investigate something within wrestling or in just life in general that would, that would bring him more happiness. And Again, like I, I don't want anyone doing what we do in wrestling um, and being completely unhappy or miserable because that that destroys you. It's it's a such a huge like mental, emotional, and physical commitment that if you're miserable miserable while doing it, um, it can only lead to bad things. And you know we've seen it in in wrestling where that that can lead to terrible things, whether it be you know alcohol, pills, drugs, um, depression, depression. Day. And we, we, exactly. And then, and, and yeah. that runs rampant in wrestling. Yeah. And we, I would hate for that to happen. Um, when what we were set out to do was something extremely positive for professional wrestling, or that was always the goal anyway. Um, and that's sort of where, where the bucks and, and I differed where we never wanted to go to war with, uh, with Vince or WWE. Um, we just wanted to give people an option and just get us a platform for our brand of storytelling and our style of wrestling. And I think, you know, when, when Cody had his way of going about things, um, it, I, I wasn't sure how to follow up with that, nor was I interested. And so there was sort of like, there's Kenny doing his thing. There's the bucks doing their thing. And there's the Cody verse over, there doing whatever it is that he does. And then there's the stuff that Tony does. And then eventually, you know, as, as you know, um, I guess probably a lot of fans know now, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially now just, just it's Tony's show. Um, and you know, of course he's always going to listen to our advice and he's going to, uh, take, take our, our, um, suggestions to heart, but AEW is very much, um, you know, Tony's thing, Tony's, Tony's, Tony's baby. And uh, we're there to support it in any way that we can. And um, I, it's it's very possible that this current version of AEW just wasn't a good fit for Cody, um, to Cody. For me, you know, I, I feel like he was one of the original four. And there's always going to be a place for him. And there's always, you, you saw it in his, his ladder match with Sammy. He's got incredible utility and he's able to help our younger talent. Um, so it's it's not nothing from an in-ring perspective there's, there's, there's no issues there. Um, yeah. Uh, if I had a clear cut answer for you guys, I, I would, I would love to tell you. Um, but I, but I don't know it. And all I can, all I can say is that whatever he decides to do, um, I heard he's on a flight to Saudi Arabia. So if that makes him happy, that, that makes him happy. Um, I just and and again, Bucks and I were we weren't in this for the war. So all all the the guys and gals at WWE doing their thing, always wishing for the best for those guys. Always. The one the one, the one thing. Okay, like you weren't in it for the war, but I know from you know I guess talking to you know in contact with Matt, especially at that point in time, is that yep. and, and and even more Jericho, is that is mm-hmm. the um. The acknowledgement that whether you want the war or not, 
you're in a war because that's the way Vince operates in the sense the nature that, of like, the business. Yeah, the yeah nature absolutely. Of the, business. I mean, the, the first, you know, day one, I mean, look, before, before um, the TV deal was even announced, okay, mm-hmm. I knew, and it, was, it wasn't that somebody from WWE told me. I, I followed Vince for, you know, 40 years. I, 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 yeah. I'm not saying I know everything how he thinks, but I, I, most of the time I'm pretty good at, at how he thinks. You, you but, said it was mm-hmm. the playbook at the time, right? Like that's the way you kind of talked I, about I, it. I mean, I don't know if I told you, but I certainly told them that, you know, NXT is going to go head to head. I mean, it's just, it's, that's what he's going to do. And, you know, I thought yeah. we, we all thought it would be on FS1. I, we didn't think it would be on, on, um, USA, which was actually a stronger platform. I thought FS1, oh, course, absolutely. FS1, I thought, you know, at, at, at FS1, I thought, you know what, TNT versus FS1, it's might even not even be the right fight for Vince to pick. But then he goes on USA and it's like, okay, this is going to be, you know, I mean, he got, he got a bigger cable platform, so it's going to be a big fight. And then it was, and then what happened, happened. Um, but, you know, the one thing that, that again, from a Cody standpoint is, mm-hmm. It's like, and, and like you, you're one of the few people who would understand this one is like, you have, you are in a position, you're not running the show, but you are certainly a valuable part of the show. And the person who is running the show, you know, will listen to you and, you know, will trust you in, in the sense of he's not micromanaging every move you do. He's not telling you word for word, what to do on your promo. You know, you have a, you know, it's like you go out there and come up with, Come up with something to entertain the fans. You know, this is your time. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. what you do. This is your direction. Now you come up with the, you know, how, how you're gonna fill up that, you know, fill up that story, but you know where you're going. Okay. So so you have that. And to go and for Cody, who clearly wants to be creative, okay. I mean, that's the you know, one thing you can tell, you know, whatever he wants mm-hmm. to be creative, to go and have that freedom, you know, to a degree, because no one has complete freedom, but a lot of freedom. Um, a, you know, a lot of power in, in a sense, and to go to a place where you are going to be, you're, you're going to be micromanaged again. Um, it was just, it was something that I like, like, look, nothing surprises me, you know, to that degree. Um, right. You know what I mean? Especially the contract was up. I mean, look at the contracts up and it's like, um, you know what I mean? It's like at the oh, level code. Yeah. At, at the level of Cody's mm-hmm. at, there's two choices. He's not he's not going to Ring of Honor that barely exists. He's not going to Impact for full time. He's not and and at this point he's not going to New Japan either. You know, I mean that four years ago, you know, New Japan was different and the travel was easier and all that, right? But he's not doing it. Was it was a much different promotion three four years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was on fire and great and and not yeah. that it's not good, not that it's not great now, but COVID did a number on it. Um, um and yes, it, I feel like it was affected. New Japan and, and Ring of Honor really got hit hard by COVID. I would, I would say. Yeah, yeah, they were both hurt bad. Impact to a degree, but I think that they survived it better. But New Japan, yeah, they did a real good job with it. Yeah, I mean, New New Japan. I mean, it's like you know, you what you know. One of the things that I think we all learned from COVID, you know, more than anything, is how important the fans are. Because I remember Tanahashi, mm-hmm. Tanahashi actually did an interview, and he was in tears when they first got the fans back saying like how important he never knew how important it was because you know here here we're watching matches and you watch a match so differently without crowd response and it's much harder to have a a good match or to be entertained without without that yeah. crowd and i'm and i've heard from other people you know um that it probably hurts a lot more <laughs> when you're doing oh, this stuff it, oh it does yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can I can speak I can speak to that candidly. I mean, at this time last year, you know, when we were wrestling outdoors in Jacksonville, when it was 30 degrees and we had like you know a, a front row of extras pretending to be people in the crowd, it everything hurt. Everything hurt. You couldn't warm up. You couldn't feel that adrenaline. It was it was tough. And um, yeah, the people. Um, one thing that you can never take away from the, the performance in New Japan is they have an absolute genuine passion for performing and being wrestlers. They love getting in a ring. It's, it means everything in the world to them to perform in a wrestling ring. And so um, I think when you take, take away that ability for fans to fully enjoy themselves, you know, for them to 
come with all of their, their best friends and family, sit side by side to be able to cheer and jeer and, you know, have the time of their lives to then, you know, do the social distancing thing, to have to wear masks, to only be able to clap. Um, it sucks the life out of that experience a little bit. And um, I, I can I can definitely uh, empathize and, and sympathize with, with Tana on, on that behalf. Um, because the New Japan fans were always so, so generous and so kind and their reactions when you could elicit those huge reactions from them, you knew that they weren't, it wasn't like a canned reaction where it's like, Oh, I think I have to react now. So I'm going to, they, they were very genuinely pouring out their emotions for the wrestlers to see and feel and hear. And um, for them to not have that for such a period of time when they were still expected to give that high standard of very hard-hitting um, New Japan style of match, that, that must have been real rough in everyone involved. So anyway, with, with 